Thanks for listening. This is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy, and Daniel Hogan is in the studio. Remember, I always like to remind everybody, remember that you can email us at heartstockradio at gmail.com. If you'd like to be a guest or if you know somebody who would be a great guest, we'd love to hear from you. Today, uh, we're recording in our home studio here in Butte, and we're actually getting to interview a local guy. And just a moment, Dr. Michael P. Masters will be with us to tell us all about what he is up to. He's the author of two books, which we're going to discuss this evening, today. And he is a professor of biology and anthropology at Montana Tech here in Butte. He received a PhD in anthropology from Ohio State University in 2009. He specialized in hominin evolutionary anatomy, archaeology, and biomedicine. So, in just a moment, Dr. Masters will be with us, and we'll learn all about what he's been doing. And, and this is his second time he's been on Heartstock Radio. I'm pretty excited to hear about the new events and uh, work that he's been doing. We'll be right back. This is Heartstock. This Welcome back. This is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. And today, our guest is Dr. Michael P. Masters. He's a professor of anthropology here in Butte at Montana Tech and the author of two books. Welcome, Dr. Masters. Thank you. Thanks, Carol. It's great to be here with you. Indeedy. Can you tell our listeners just a little bit about your most recent book? And yeah, a little bit about the the last one that you wrote as well. Well, the most recent one is with my editor right now. It should be out in May of this year, but I guess it doesn't really count until it's published. So the most recent published one came out in June of 2022, and it was kind of a follow-up to the first one, but also just kind of a different approach. Both of them explore the idea that UFOs may be piloted by our future human descendants coming back through time to visit and study their own past. And uh, the first one took more of a multidisciplinary approach in the context of anthropology, astrobiology, astronomy, and physics. And it's kind of laid the groundwork for that idea, really focused on human evolutionary trends, uh, time travel, how they might actually be doing that, what the implications of backward time travel might be in the future. But I didn't really look much at the at the abduction phenomenon, which I think is a really important part of this that we also need to consider. So the the second book that came out in June of last year kind of fills in some of those gaps and, and looks at a number of case studies going back about 90 years and covering five different continents and looking at, at what we can possibly learn from these, because I think it's important to not just focus on the cockpit videos and you know, what pilots are seeing, but what people have been experiencing in, in their own lives for potentially hundreds, thousands of years. Um, so 
just it takes what is known as an abductive approach, which was pointed out to me as kind of ironic since we're talking about abductions. Uh, but an abductive approach is just looking at all of the data and trying to parse out what the best explanation might be. It's inference to the best explanation based on what we see across a number of different cases. So, yeah, it, it focuses more on that close contact experience, but then draws in a lot of the things that, that characterize the, the first book in the context of um, the, the science behind it, what, what they might be doing, how they might be doing it, and what it might all mean for both us and them. Yes. And then there's, of course, um, the question of who are they? And um, I have to admit, I, before our first interview, I was pretty ignorant. I had no idea just how frequently people were experiencing these things and just how frequently sightings and encounters had been happening, both here yeah, and worldwide. Same. It's just... I know. It's phenomenal. It's crazy. I, I had no yeah. idea either, to be honest. Yeah. It was a bit of a shock to me as well. So I think you mentioned in your, your recent book, it's like 5% of the population. Is that correct? Is that How accurate is that number? I mean, you know, when I first read that, I was like, there is no way. There's absolutely no way. And, you know, I, they include a lot of things in that a lot of sort of spiritual encounters or encounters with ethereal beings. And, and those should all be quantified and described because we don't know what's going on. This is considered paranormal. It runs parallel to the normal. Um, but even beyond that, we just need to try to account for everything. It's sort of how we clump everything into UFO. It's an unidentified flying object. And then if you put in the time and the effort, you can start to identify it. And a lot of times it's a mylar balloon or a flock of seagulls or swamp gas, at least according to Project Blue Book. But, <laughs> but a lot of other times it's an actual craft that can perform incredible maneuvers, pull in tens of thousands of Gs, going tens of thousands of miles per hour. And that's obviously something we can't do. So it's important to recognize that that's happening too and, and to sort of parse out those occurrences in the context of what can be identified. So, yeah, when you start talking about people's personal experiences, you also then have uh, hoaxes that need to be accounted for. You have people just misunderstanding something or they're in a dream state or kind of between a dream and waking state. So, but anecdotally, having met a lot of people at conferences and just all, all over the place, I at first, it seemed absurd to me, but I don't know. And and going down that rabbit hole and really talking to people, it's um, yeah, everybody's got a story. It's it's crazy, and and everybody that's involved in this seemingly has something that that's triggered their interest in it. That usually stems from something anomalous. Well, I was very fascinated by the fact you talked about Mr. Strieber's book, Communion. And I had actually, well, I listened to it on tape um, in all, doing all of my um, rabbit hole digging myself. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot to take yeah. in. And he's, um, he's a lot. He's, yeah. he's an incredible person. What, what's in his books is only the tip of the iceberg. When you sit and talk to him and just he exudes this energy that is it kind of legitimizes everything he writes it's it's a part of his everyday life it's just normalized to him it's mm -hmm. it's crazy and 
that book came into your awareness by way of your dad. Is that right? Yeah, he he had had an experience before I was born. And uh, I heard him talking about it one night to some friends, sort of eavesdropping from the stairs. And, um, you know, that was interesting enough. It, It piqued my curiosity. But the main thing was that started me down this path was seeing it on the the bookshelf and just having this awareness of how human it was in the context of our modern humanness, anatomically modern Homo sapiens sapiens, but also in the context of evolutionary change and what little I knew about that at age nine when I saw that alien being looking back at me from the the bookshelf. It it just seemed it seemed too similar to not be us. And um that sort of uh yeah, resulted in a bit of a lifelong pursuit. I, I, I've been recognizing more that I think it was an aspect of precognition, which I've had my entire life, mostly dream precognition, but that was one of about five or six uh, conscious precognition moments I had where I think I was really just looking at the future that I'm living now, uh, but that somehow got projected back to my eight or nine-year-old self and led to this this lifelong pursuit of sorts. So precognition, is that like a deja vu or you dream something and it happens? Well, yeah, it depends on how you look at it. The The future, the past and the present aren't really indistinguishable in the context of the block universe and block time. We have a sense that a, a past cause leads to a future effect, but that's not necessarily the case. And you can have something exist in the future that then you become aware of in the past. And I used to have it all the time. It was, it got to the point where I really had to start thinking about, I'm like, what is this thing? How do I see the future in such ways? And so it's always the most benign thing ever. It's never really that impactful or interesting. It's just these moments in life. Uh, I knew my wife before I met her. I knew my kids before they were born. Uh, I've known houses I've lived in before I long before I ever lived in them. You just you get to the point where you live that thing you dreamt and you remember the exact dream. Sometimes it's a couple weeks in advance. Sometimes it's decades in advance. Um, but you get used after a while. You get used to parsing out which one is just a elaborate dreamscape and which one's an actual future memory. And um, once once you can delineate between those, it, it does actually give you a glimpse into the real structure of the future, your own future. It's not you never see other future events from other people's point of view or, or anything else. It's always just what's in your own mind, in your own brain that you will experience at some point in your own future. Yeah, I've experienced this before, and I always just called them deja vus. And then I thought about it and um, really started paying attention to my dreams and kind of came to the conclusion, hey, I dreamed this in a dream. Is that how yeah. these events come to you? And I'm kind of getting yeah, off exactly. the subject and, here, but we'll, and, we'll get, and, we'll and get no, back no, to this it. Is, yeah. This is very relevant. I mean, this okay. is how my entire pursuit of this question started was with one of those. And and what's great is that it's, um, you know, deja vu doesn't explain it. It's just a word we attributed to this thing that we all experience. Um, some people, I think, recognize it more than others. But I, w- I would highly recommend a book by, by my friend Eric Wargo, uh, which is called Time Loops. And what's really funny is that I had one of few conscious precognitive moments 
about a week before him and I were on a panel together at Rice University in Houston, Texas, uh, last March, almost exactly one year ago. And it was, it was really funny because my wife just took the kids to school and, and I was sitting there, I'm looking at my phone like, oh, that's weird. She hasn't called me to pull her out of the snow yet. And my <laughs> wife is a very good driver, never gets stuck in the snow. But almost five seconds after I'm still holding my phone, it starts ringing. And it's my wife saying, hey, you know, <laughs> I, I tried everything. I'm so stuck in the snow. Can you grab the truck and the tow rope and come pull me out? And I was like, yeah, of course. I was actually waiting on your call, oddly. And it hadn't even really sunk in yet that that thought came before the actual moment in which I became aware that she was stuck in the snow. But but those are rare. It's It's usually in a dream state where where these things sort of creep through and, and, and our consciousness is timeless. You, you see that a lot in near death experiences and uh, people who separate their mind from their body in any context, psychedelics also elicit similar things, DMT trips, especially. So once you exit this fleshy meat bag that sort of imprisons us and our consciousness, then you're free to move about the cabin and, and dreams are one of the best ways to do that. If, if you can remember them. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take our midway point break here in just a moment. We'll be back and we'll talk a little bit more how all of this is connected to ETs. This is Heartstock. This is Heartstock Radio, and today we're speaking with Dr. Michael P. Masters, and we were just talking about experiencing the future before it happens, and time, and time travel, and in your two books now, you talk about the theory, the idea that ETs are ourselves visiting, revisiting their past, and I'm always shocked when I hear like mainstream media, whatever, questioning whether or not ETs even exist. So are you convinced that they exist and why? Well, I mean, as a scientist without direct evidence, you're always skeptical. Absolutely. And what's interesting about this area of pursuit is that we have a ton of indirect evidence and almost no direct evidence, which makes it hard in the context of hypothesis testing and the standards of evidence. So yeah, obviously I'm always skeptical, not just of this theory, but of of everything. But after a while, you see enough cases, there, there are legitimate studies that have been done on the frequency with which this occurs and what people see and what their experiences are like. And you start to identify patterns within that and and really consistent patterns, which is always the thing that struck me <clears throat> is if if it was, you know, eight legged squid monster things, 
I never would have gotten interested in this. And, and if everyone's describing a completely different being or a completely different experience, it, it's not something I would have pursued either. But it's that consistency across reports that really lends credence to what's happening. And, and now, especially since 2017, with the Navy starting to acknowledge and the Pentagon acknowledge that these cockpit videos are real, that's a good starting point for most people where they can say, okay, well, this is real. So then the question turns to what are these things and who's inside and where, when did they come from? So I think at this point, yes, we can say UFOs are real. There's no question about that. But obviously, they're intelligently controlled, and whoever or whatever is controlling them is far more advanced than us. So I think there is a case to be made that it's a more advanced form of us in the future doing this, since there's so many correlates, not just in their morphological, physiological form, but in the, the morphological form of these craft and how across the board they seem to have the capability of manipulating space-time. And all of those things put together, uh, among countless other things I've described in, in my first two books about this, do point to it being us in the future, uh, scientists, researchers engaged in various studies, coming back to perform those studies and, and likely numerous other things related to reproduction and, and gamete extraction. In your latest book, The Extratempestrial Model... Great name. Um, a little hard to say, however. Um, well, why? Why, though, Carol? <laughs> Extraterrestrial is what everybody says, the default term. All I did is change out four letters in the middle. It should be just as easy. <laughs> should be. Why abductions? Why did you think that this was um, so important that it needed to be the, the focus of your second book? Because I met these people. Because I met them. And the things they described, I, I had a two-hour conversation with the medical doctor over the summer who told me his story. And I mean, this was after I published the book and, and long after I'd been researching it, writing about these things. And he's just one example of countless conversations I've had where, where people describe the most mind-blowing thing. But... They don't just tell you their story. They tell you the story of how it started, how they interacted over time, how they came to grips with it. So you can watch this arc happen, this initial ontological shock that gives way to more and worse ontological shock that eventually culminates in some kind of understanding and acceptance and a lot of times even an appreciation or a feeling that they're they're helping, they're special, they're a part of something bigger. No, no matter how insane the things that are happening to them are, eventually the vast majority of people, especially those who interact with humans uh, and more human-like beings, really kind of just come to accept it and realize that it's not something they can talk about with most people. So I feel really fortunate that uh, they feel like they can talk to me about it. And I've learned so much because of it. I, I've never been taken up into UFO. Uh, in fact, I just saw my first UFO actually over the summer, which was kind of a mind blowing experience because it's that same thing. Like, oh, I'll believe it when I see it. I believed it before I saw it because I believe sober 
credible, well-grounded people. And then just to see it myself was obviously an extraordinary experience, but it didn't change anything about what I'm doing or how I viewed it. It was just like, oh, sweet. I'm finally a part of the club. You know, I take these people seriously because they deserve to be taken seriously and we all should. There's so many questions around secrecy and different theories, of course, always seem to pop up conspiracy theories about the UFO phenomenon. And some would say that the U.S. government has already reverse engineered these crafts. And you mentioned before that we can't do what they can do. What's your take on this? Is is there a mass cover-up? Is there stuff going on that would scare the heck out of all of us that our government is involved in? Well, I mean, it depends on how easily scared you are. At this point, most of us who have been following this for a while wouldn't be at all scared by it. In fact, we'd be like, yeah, okay, that checks out. Um, but if, you, if you're new to this or haven't really been paying attention to the long history of Project Sign, Project Grudge, uh, Project Blue Book especially, well, Project Grudge almost more, was the, the campaign to really turn scientists against the general public, which is why it's been hard for scientists now to break away from that and to really try to investigate this in real terms because we're an agent of this divide and conquer tactic that's been employed since the 1940s. And um, yeah, that wouldn't have been done if there wasn't a reason to do it. Like, who cares? You know, you don't see the same thing with Sasquatch, or the Loch Ness Monster, or trolls, angels, goblins, name your cryptid. You see it with the UFO phenomenon. There are actual government agencies set up to quell interest in and discussion about what's happening. And it's because there is and was and has been something happening for a very long time. So there are certain elements of our government that know, and we're starting to actually get some information about that, which is great. I think the next three to five years are going to be highly impactful for people. And if anyone's listening that hasn't really been paying attention, this is a good time to start paying attention because it'll ease the shock of what is about to come out. And I'm wondering um, how you feel about CE5. That was one of the things that I've encountered. Groups and individuals, organizations, Dr. Greer for one in particular, feels that part of the tactic for the cover-up and the secrecy is to take a militarized approach with ETs as opposed to trying to raise the level of our own consciousness so that we can peacefully join with the other beings that are out there in the universe. What do you think about all this? Well, I mean, it's not my main focus. I I know who you're talking about and what you're talking about, but I'll admit it's not something I've paid a lot of attention to. With that said, I I do trend more to the side of focusing on what people's experiences are. And the vast majority of them are positive experiences where they interact with beings. It's not all love and light. We can't look at it with rose-colored glasses on in every instance. But for the most part, we're talking about something with a more evolved consciousness and more empathy than what we have in this period of time. So, yeah, I mean, I've never tried it. I've never tried the meditation thing. And I I think it's worked for some people. It's not just about that. It's, you know, what 
are people experiencing even if they don't seek it out? And I think we need to pay attention to that because it is seemingly mostly benevolent. They haven't eaten us or enslaved us or, or killed us and taken our resources. So that definitely points to the fact that we are dealing with, if not benevolent, then definitely, you know, some kind of distant relative or someone you might hit up for 20 bucks if if you were hard <laughs> up for cash or something. And I'm wondering about the future. We probably have about four minutes left. What are you planning uh, next? Will there be another book? Yeah, there is another book. It exists. It is in our reality. It's being edited right now. It's with my editor. And it'll probably be out in May sometimes. But yeah, just doing the same old conference circuit and uh, TV appearances, just still trying to get the word out. Definitely helps the other day when Steven Spielberg said he thought it was future humans. I've gotten mm. a lot of a lot of people reaching out to me because of that one. But it's great. I mean, you know, people are talking about this idea as a real thing. It's it's almost. I mean, if you go on UFO Twitter, it's almost as talked about as much, if not more. And the extraterrestrial idea these days. And it's not just because of what I'm doing. It just makes sense. And people are starting to recognize that. So I'm just going to keep pushing that envelope and keep getting it out there. And I don't know, write about it and talk about it in various forms and try to move the ball forward. Will there be a third book, you think? I mean, this is the third book. I, I guess I should mention that it's not like the other two. Oh, I see. Got it. All right. So the it's, second one is abductions and the third one is? The third one is a satirical time travel science fiction novel. Oh, got so it. So I, I got to strip the chains off and talk about things in a way I don't usually get to because I stick to the foundations of science for uh, the first two books. Um, there's a lot of things in here that people that follow the UFO phenomenon will appreciate, a lot of Easter eggs, if you will. Even if you don't, I've been told it's a compelling story with a lot of twists and turns that keep the reader interested. And yeah, it was even reviewed by a, a PhD in religious studies who found it to be very interesting. So uh, that is book number three. It's different than the first two in the sense that it's not a hard science book, but in the context of what we're talking about and what people really want to know about this phenomenon. And especially if they are time travelers, then it uh, it fits the bill, you might say. So what made you decide to write a novel as opposed to, like you said, the uh, the other two being more kind of science-based? science, science based? Uh, I was actually in the shower one day, and I had a, a TV contract with this company, and tragically, the CEO died unexpectedly. And it was what I was going to be doing on sabbatical. And then once he died, they could keep producing what they're already producing, but they couldn't do the projects and development. Mine was one of those. So mm. it got put by the wayside. And I said, well, what am I going to do now? I have the sabbatical. And, and I mean, I had other TV projects and conferences and things, but I needed like something to do every day or I would lose my mind. And I was like, you know, I had this story sort of bubbling under the surface and Took my truck in to get new tires, went to Mackenzie River, had a couple beers, and rode out 90% of the plot line just sitting at the bar having a beer when my truck got worked on, and, and it just kind of went from there. So I'm wondering, how might folks find more information about you 
and, and your books? Probably my website or email, which there's a link to from my website. It's uh, it's just michaelpmasters.com. As far as contacting me or, or looking at past interviews or info about the new book, I'd say it's probably the best place, michaelpmasters.com. Fantastic. Thanks again for being on Hertzstock. Um, I think you may be like the third person I've interviewed twice. So I hope we can have you back Ooh. again. Yep. Yeah. How many have you done three times? I, actually, I haven't interviewed anybody three times. So yes. All right. Yes. There you yeah. go. It could be well, a record. Let's do it again tomorrow <laughs> and then I can take the record and put that in my my hat and smoke it or whatever that expression is. I'm really bad at idioms. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, um, as usual... We will be back again next week. And in the meantime, peace. This is Heartstock. Thanks for listening. No trespassing, but on the other side. Heartstock Radio is a production of KBMF 102.5 Butte America Radio. Hear our programs every Friday at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time via live stream at butteamericaradio.org.